Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ah, it's nearly fall, and that means cool air and the perfect time to go camping. Just be sure to keep an eye and ear on your surroundings. Keep in mind that goats cannot talk. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails, where I retweet skinwalker birds and lizard memes. Enjoy these allegedly true scary camping stories and tales about disturbing things found by hunters. Send me your scary true stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org so I can narrate them. And check out eeriecast.com for more of our terrifying shows, like Freaky Folklore and Tales from the Break Room. Now, let's begin. My Great-Grandmother's 18th Century Horror Story From John 343 When many of us think of the 1800s, we tend to think of those cheesy rhinestone cowboy TV shows. We don't consider just how terrifying it truly was to be alive at the time. I was born in 1959. I didn't meet my great-grandmother until I was around seven, so it would have been 1966, I believe. My great-grandmother, who at the time was around 1998, was a very sweet and kind little old lady. She dressed the way that I had seen people dress on Bonanza. So for a young child, a boy especially, who was obsessed with stories of the Wild West that I'd seen on TV, I was excited to flood her with questions. At first, she told me all these wondrous stories of covered wagons, cowboy standoffs, building everything you owned, and just general stories of living in a mostly lawless time. At the time, it was the middle of summer, and my mother had told me to take my dog out to the backyard so he could use the facilities and we could get settled in for the night. Within a few seconds of my mother saying this, my great-grandmother jumped to her feet from her chair and screamed, No! Don't let him go out there! My grandmother walked over to my great-grandmother, putting a hand on her shoulder and whispering something in her ear to settle her down. This was kind of alarming to me, because I didn't really know this woman too well. But being a silly kid, I wrote it off and took Rowdy out to the backyard. When I got back in and locked up, the mood had completely changed. Even though I was going to be allowed to stay up later than normal, my mom told me to take Rowdy and go to bed with him. I questioned her and asked what was going on. I could clearly see my great-grandmother was very disturbed in the other room. My mother said, Jacob, just go to bed. I was not familiar with her carrying that tone towards me. I laid down after putting my pajamas on, 
and just stared at the ceiling, not really being able to sleep. I headed downstairs to grab a glass of milk, trying to slip a few of the sweets my mother, aunts, and grandmother had made. That's when I saw my great-grandmother sitting there staring out the back window. I asked her, Grandma Caroline, is everything okay? She turned around and looked at me, saying, Do you want to know why I didn't want you to go outside? I answered, Yes, please. Believing I was about to hear another Wild West story, I grabbed my sweets cautiously, not knowing what she would say, and sat down for a story. She said, The reason I didn't want you to go outside is because I didn't want him to get you. I've seen it twice since I've been here, and I won't let it happen again. What are you talking about, Grandma Caroline? The black haint in the woods. What's a haint? Uh, honestly, it can mean a lot of things, but at its core, it means something evil. She went on to explain this story to me. When I was 17 in 1885, I saw it for the first time. My daddy, who was a Civil War veteran, decided to take me, my sisters, and my mama on a little bit of a trip to meet some men he had served with in the war. We would have to set up a camp a couple of times along the way, but we didn't care because we were too caught up in the excitement of the whole thing. It was in the middle of summer, so we let mama and daddy have the tent. Me and my sister slept on blankets and looked up at the stars, just dreaming. On the second night, whenever we were settling in for camp, a family of travelers on their way through the area stopped by, asking if they could share the area for their camp. My daddy was a really good judge of character, and he didn't sense anything wrong. So he said yes, just keep to your own. They made their camp quickly and were asleep almost as fast. I woke up late in the night to see the youngest boy of the group walking towards the woods. At first, I couldn't tell what he was walking towards, but I knew he didn't need to be up and about. I quickly lit a small lantern to run after him and see what was going on. Almost afraid I was going to catch him peeing out by the wood line. And that's when I seen it. A tall, dark man with a long trench coat and big hat, like the men that we would see coming through town from time to time, looking to pick a fight or start some trouble. At first I thought it was a real man and told him to mind his own. Then he looked at me, and that's when I knew this was something evil. His eyes were bright white, and when he smiled, his mouth protruded a bright steam that shouldn't have been coming out of his mouth in the middle of a summer. Before I could even react, he had grabbed the boy, and he was gone. I fainted there. I came to the next morning during a search to find the boy. He was gone, and no one ever found him. I told my daddy about everything that happened. He told me to forget about it, that we were going home right away. I couldn't make sense of anything that happened. After we got home very late the next night, my daddy told us all straight to bed. I tried to lay there and sleep, but couldn't get it off my mind. Then I heard something rustling in the woods. I looked out my window, and I seen it again, 
That coal-black son of a gun with those white eyes looking directly at me. I rubbed my eyes several times to try to make sure I was awake, and he was still there. I then ran to my mama and daddy's room to get my daddy, and he was gone. But then I noticed the front door was open. I walked to the open door and seen my daddy sitting on the porch with a mouthful of tobacco and a shotgun in his hand. He said to me, I know what you're seeing, and I've seen it too. It followed me home after the war. I don't know what the heck it is. It's been here for years, baby girl. Go inside. Don't worry about it. I told him I couldn't do that. I decided to sit there next to him. This godless thing stared at us all night, before eventually turning and walking back into the woods before the sun broke. We would sit and watch it, just me and Daddy, almost every night for months, when all of a sudden, he just stopped appearing. Not long after, I met your great-granddaddy, got married, and moved away. I didn't see the man again, till the night that your great-great-granddaddy died. He was lying on his deathbed at his and Mama's house. I looked out the window, and just as sure as I was standing there, he was there again. After Daddy died, I didn't see the man again until the night that we pulled up in your driveway. I saw him standing in the bushes beside your house. I don't know what he is, Jacob, and I don't know what he wants. So just make sure you stay in the house after dark and keep that darn dog in the house too. Needless to say, as of this point, I was far too afraid to go back to sleep. So I just held Rowdy as tight as I could and lay there. The next morning, on little to no sleep, I walked down the stairs to find Great Grandma Caroline and everybody else laughing and joking as if nothing had ever happened. When I questioned my Great Grandma Caroline about the conversation that she and I had the night before, she said to me, I'm sorry, honey. I don't know what you're talking about. But then a few moments later, she looked at me with a very distinct look and gave me a wink. The rest of Grandma Caroline's visit was uneventful. She left two days later, and although she would live to be 102 years old, that was the first and only time I would ever see her. To this day, I find myself looking into the dark to try and see if I can catch a glimpse of whatever this thing is, and I never have. Maybe that's for the best considering that this thing followed my great-great-grandfather home after the Civil War. I don't want to see it. War is full of death, destruction, and carnage in every way that you could imagine. So I think it kind of goes without saying that war leaves a stain on those who are around it. The Civil War was truly a dark time in American history, and we tend to not want to talk about it too often. We forget the sheer brutality that was fueling this war. Although great-grandma Caroline died peacefully in her home, my Aunt Whitney said her last words were, I see him standing there. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. 
June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. His Guardian Angel from... Bubble Guppy. Ghosts aren't always malefic. Some are downright kind and gentle, just like the one from this experience. This was one of the last times I went camping. It was with my cousin, his girlfriend, and my boyfriend. My cousin is 39, but he was always my favorite, because he always went out of his way for me. For this to make sense, I need to tell you about my former roommate as well. Her name was Alice. She and my cousin were always so sweet together. He was 33 back then, and me and my roommate were both 22 then. Alice and my cousin always joked around with each other, like throwing cold water over her when she was taking a shower, or Alice hiding somewhere and scaring my cousin. But when we'd all watch a movie, Alice would always sit next to him and put her head on his shoulder. Now, my cousin is peculiar when it comes to people putting their head on his shoulder so you can tell he really cares about someone if he lets them do that. One day we heard that Alice was in a terrible accident. She was taken to the hospital. When we arrived there, her family was sitting in the hallway and the doctor asked if we were Gabby and Russell and we answered yes. The doctor said, she won't make it long, so please make it short. When we finally saw Alice, it felt as if my heart stopped. She was wired to so many machines. Alice smiled, though, and stuck out her hand, grabbing Russell's. He sat next to the bed on the stool. I walked to the edge of the bed. She said, I love you, Gabs, then turned her head to Russell, to which she then grabbed her bracelet, took it off, and put it in Russell's hand, saying, I love you so much. I wish we could have been together, but I'll always be with you. She ended up passing away right in front of our eyes not too long after. My cousin Russell wears that bracelet every day and only takes it off when taking a shower or a bath or when he goes swimming. He even got a tattoo of Alice's name with angel wings on his right peck on his chest. Fast forward three years, my cousin Russell finally had a girlfriend after the death of Alice 
Eloise and Russell were an official couple for three months at the time, and my boyfriend Eddie and I were together for a full year then. Eddie wanted to go camping with me, and I suggested Russell and Eloise come with us. After all, Eddie and Russell are like two peas in a pod when they're together. He of course said yes. The next day, Eloise and Russell showed up with camping equipment. We went to the biggest forest nearby, setting up tents. Then Eddie and Russell began looking for big rocks and wood to make a fire pit. Eloise and I could hear them joking around while looking for the required items. Then Eloise said, So has uh, Eddie asked you yet? It was clear that Russell told Eloise that I wanted to get married pretty soon, but before I could answer, Eddie and Russell came back. Eloise, did you know your boyfriend's crazy? Eddie said. We saw Russell holding a big pile of rocks. Eloise looked at Russell with a face that just said sarcastically, really, and he dropped the rocks on the ground. As Eloise stood up, Russell walked to her and just kissed her. Eloise then said to me, okay, I won't say anything. Later on, Russell cooked the food they'd brought. We sat on the ground starting to tell each other scary stories. After the stories, we went to bed, but since those scary stories tended to get under my skin, I had a bit of trouble sleeping. Those kinds of stories tend to make me kind of paranoid, and I start wondering about things that might happen. Eddie slept with me, and that did help me feel better. He told me not to worry, and I answered back with an, I love you. The next day, I was the first to awake, or at least I thought I was. Eloise then woke up and asked me, Good morning, have you seen Russell? No, I thought I was the first one to wake up, to be honest, I replied. I looked around to see if Russell was anywhere, but I didn't see him. We went on with our morning, assuming that he would come back at some point. But a few hours passed, and I could see Eloise was beginning to get restless. Where could he be? She said, worried. I tried to comfort her, saying he probably went out and maybe fell asleep somewhere. She managed to smile, but anyone could see that it was fake. More hours passed, and Eloise finally decided to call the cops. Eventually, a search party was formed. The cops allowed the three of us to join in. A few hours into the search, I saw something glinting in the little sunlight that still shined. I ran up to it and saw it was the bracelet that Alice had given Russell. My heart was pounding. I heard an officer then shout my name, and I put the bracelet into my pocket. Ma'am, we're going to have to stop the search now. It's going to be dark soon and tomorrow we'll come with the dogs to find him. The officer explained. My heart sank. I was so scared of what could have happened to my cousin. When I arrived back at the campsite, I found Eddie trying to calm Eloise down. She was crying. She never stopped crying until she fell asleep that night. Eddie and I lay in our tent. Then Eddie said to me, We'll find him, okay? I'm sure he's fine wherever he is. I lay on my back trying to fall asleep, but it was soon clear that I wouldn't be sleeping that night. Eddie was fast asleep though, and I could hear the slight snoring of Eloise coming from the tent next to ours. I picked up the bracelet and held it up, whispering, Where are you, Russell? No sooner did I say that, I heard what sounded like a whisper on the wind. I could have swore I heard the words, Follow me. I got up suddenly and called out, Hello? I didn't hear any response, 
but I did feel the bracelet hit the side of my hand, which was weird since I hadn't moved or touched it, and there was no wind coming through the tent. Then I swear I heard it again. Follow me. I threw on some clothes, opened up the tent, and stepped out. Then I froze. There was a figure standing in the distance. At that distance, I could not see any features, but I took a step forward, and at this, that figure took a step back, but I didn't hear any footsteps. Once again, I stepped forward, and same as before, the figure stepped back. I gathered my courage and called out, Who are you? But I didn't hear a voice in response. Something else happened instead. The bracelet hit the back of my leg, which surprised me. I grabbed the bracelet off the ground. That's when another windy whisper came. Trust me. My mind was blown. I wasn't sure if it was even real, what I was hearing. Alice had always said that to me when I was afraid. My mouth agape. I then swallowed and gathered my courage again. I spoke. Alice, is that you? Then I heard a giggle, and I smiled when that giggle sounded familiar. There was no mistaking it. That had to be Alice. Was she here to help? I began walking toward the figure, which I was now sure was my darling departed friend, Alice. I followed her, trying to ask her questions like, where are you taking me? But all I got was giggles until she stood still, and so did I. Come, I heard her voice say. Steadily, I walked up closer to the figure, and as I drew closer, it became clear to me, this figure truly was Alice. I felt a tear roll down my cheek, seeing her standing in front of me after all this time. She then turned her face to the left. There, she said, I walked over to where she was looking. After a few steps, I noticed a hole in the ground. I shouted, hello, hello, into the hole. Suddenly, I was greeted by another familiar voice. Gabs, Gabs is, that you? is that you? I was both relieved and startled. I shouted back, my God, Russell, Russell are, you okay? are you okay? What happened? What happened? He replied, I fell down here, hurt my ankle pretty bad. I can't even stand on it, but you need to help me out of this hole. I put the bracelet into my pocket, putting my hand into the hole. Russell was just barely able to reach it, and I managed to help Russell out of the hole. He looked at me, and he asked, How did you find me, Gabs? I grabbed the bracelet out of my pocket, showing it to him. Guess who? He smiled and said, it was Alice? I smiled back. I think so. I think I saw her, and she led me to you. Suddenly, a gentle breeze picked up only for a moment, and I heard what sounded like, I love you. I turned to Russell, asking, Did you hear that? He was smiling, just looking right in front of him. We walked back to the campsite, as I supported him on his hurt ankle. Halfway there, the sun began to rise. I asked, how did you even end up in that hole? Well, I was picking up wood to start the breakfast fire. I ran into a boar of all things, 
I just started running away from it blindly. I looked him straight in the eye, and he put on his I-did-something-stupid smile and continued. The boar chased me. I was zigzagging through the trees, but it kept on running after me. I ran through a few branches. That's probably how I lost the bracelet in the first place. I just kept running. A big ray of early morning sunlight was now shining through the trees, creating a breathtaking scene in front of us. Russell and I just sighed, looking at each other. I smiled and hugged him. Then Russell said, Alice loved to see the sunlight through the trees like this so much. Then one final time, the whisper on the wind came to us. Thank you. The two of us quickly turned around, and we saw her standing there, looking back at us. Then we heard Eloise shout behind us. We turned to her and saw her running at us. She threw her arms around Russell, crying her eyes out. Eddie hugged me, saying, My God, where were you? And where'd you find him? We told them how I found Russell, except for the parts where Alice helped. To this day, Russell still wears the bracelet, and even calls his first daughter, who is now a year and seven months old, Alice. When she's old enough, Russell's going to have his daughter wear the bracelet, and have Alice be her guardian angel. Campfire Creatures from Quinn. Back in high school, me and some friends decided to go camping late at night without our parents' permission. When they'd first mentioned to me that they wanted to go, something seemed off about my friends' possible intentions. Just to let you know, my friends were not particularly religious people. They'd tried to perform many rituals in the school bathroom, but were soon caught due to publicity. Their parents, though, were strangely strict Catholics and fortunately had never found out about their children's behaviors. Now back to the story. On a Friday night, me and my four friends snuck out at a sleepover to go to the nearby woods. They tried to hide it from me, but it was very obvious they brought stuff to start a cult. You know, some ritualistic kind of stuff. I didn't mind it at first, though. I could have always went to take a leak while they did this. Once we arrived in the circle of trees, they got out the salt and the candles. I excused myself abruptly, starting in a random direction, but before I could take even two steps away, I felt two pairs of hands grab me by the waist and pull me back. I looked behind me to see my four friends, all grinning while dragging me toward the fire. I screamed, thrashed around to break free, but their grips were too tight. Before I knew it, I felt the heat surrounding my entire body. As I thought I was about to die, my friends suddenly became weak and loosened their grips. Even though I was held over the fire, I managed to flee and made it about eight feet away from there before turning around and seeing… no one. It was as if my supposed friends had just vanished. I have no idea what happened. Was it actually them? Was it a prank? Who knows? I sure don't. What was outside my tent? From Veronica W. I'm a 17-year-old girl living in southeast Pennsylvania, but this happened just last summer while I was 16. I'd gotten a job at a scout summer camp, and I'd already worked there for two weeks. One night, I'd been chilling with a friend, let's call him Will, when someone walked past and told him, 
Hey, I saw the Wendigo tonight. I glanced at Will. What's he mean? Will looked at me. It's supposedly this creature that's been spotted a few times over at the OA village. It's about 9 to 10 feet tall, covered in some type of white fur. Almost looks like some kind of bipedal deer man thing. They say it runs real fast too. People who have seen it usually run away, but the thing ends up just running into the woods. It's like it's afraid of people. I was pretty sure this was a joke that the older staff told. Because the way the other guy casually walked up and talked about it. But I'm easily scared and I didn't dare go to my tent alone. The female staff campsite was the closest to the siding spot. But I soon forgot about it as we moved into camper week 4. It was the first night of week four that things happened. My troop had said goodnight, and each went to their tent. My tent was on a trail leading out of the campsite, and farthest from the group. I fell asleep, and I stayed asleep for a few hours. But then I awoke, and all I could hear was this steady breathing sound, as if something had sat down next to me just outside the tent. I stiffened. Panic filling my mind, I dared not move, otherwise I'd risk alerting it. But I wanted the adults nearby to help. I didn't know what to do. I even held my breath, making sure that I wasn't just hearing myself. But it was still there. Forcing myself to stay awake, nearly drifting in and out of consciousness, I waited till sunrise, and that thing stayed there until morning. When I stopped hearing it breathing... I waited for the others to wake up, then I pulled on my clothes and dashed out of the tent. They were surprised to see me as one of the first up. I recalled what happened to another scout, who told me. Well, I had to use the bathroom last night. My mom came with me, and when we walked by your tent, we both heard a noise on the way back. My heart sank. I asked, did you investigate? They shook their heads. I knew I couldn't sleep in that tent again, so I moved into my dad's equipment tent. Nothing else happened until week six. I was with the staff again, and I enjoyed staying up talking to Will, but soon we walked to the bathrooms and parted ways. I'd usually find another girl going to the campsite, but that night I didn't. Nervously, I put my earbuds in, playing some music that made me feel brave. I traveled down the hill and glanced over at a climbing tower nearby. Its floodlight illuminated a rather large shape. This shape was backlit and hunched over, walking towards the shooting range. The shape was like a giant beetle. I could see that it had fur. It was on all fours, and it was about five feet tall. I could tell because the fence behind it was the same height. Panicking, I froze watching this thing walking away from me. Once I couldn't discern its shape anymore, I sprinted to my tent. This time no one believed me that the creature they joked about, I saw. Granted, I hadn't seen it very well. They tried to reassure me that it was just someone else. I was on edge the rest of the time I was at the camp. Since that day I've been researching what creature it is. The closest I've gotten to is a werewolf, but it's still not exact. I'm going back there this year to find out more, and hopefully I don't die for knowing too much. Warning. The following account contains depictions of violence against animals and also contains depictions of assault against men and women. 
My Two Paranormal Experiences From Tyler H. G. 2021 These stories are not one but two of the most strange, terrifying, and paranormal things that ever happened to me in my life. I will never forget them. Both of my stories, these creatures I encountered, were totally different from each other. This first encounter happened when I was hunting with some friends back in September of 2011. The other encounter occurred at a cabin in October of 2014. While these stories are true, I will change the names of those involved for confidentiality. Now let's get started. I live towards the Glacier National Park, just northwest of Montana, where I grew up. Most of my life, I lived on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation, a place where you'll hear scary tales of the Goat Man, stories of campers going missing in the middle of the woods where the stick Indians come out and take people away in the night. Now, I would describe myself as six foot two, a medium build with a beard. Being of mixed race and having very light skin living on the reservation all my life, I hung around a lot with my cousin Dan. Dan was two years younger than me, liked sports, and was very good at basketball and played for the high school team. Together, we did a lot of hiking and hunting, also a bit of drinking, smoking, chasing women, and just kicking it with the boys every now and then. My cousin introduced me to his two friends for the first time out on a hunting trip back in 2008. We'll call them Big Tom and Mouse. Big Tom was just a big, silly guy who enjoyed talking about football and would always start singing to the country music playing on the radio, sitting in the front passenger seat in the truck. We would drive down the country roads and he would crack open a cold one. Mouse was 5'6", wore glasses, and had what you call a short man complex. He always had to get competitive over who's the best at what all the time. Later down the road, on my own, I would also start getting into different varieties of hunting wild game. Ducks, grouses, other bird hunting, varmint trapping, and learning how to make coyote hides. I would always go for the more exotic type of hunting rifles and guns. I would usually go for the guns that were the most efficient and accurate for the purposes I needed them. I would carry a Remington 7600 pump action, while the other guys just carried bolt-action rifles. Sometime in September of 2011, all of us were in our early to mid-twenties at the time. It was just the beginning of rifle season. I picked up my cousin at his house in my white 1995 Ford Bronco with two big light bars on the top, which I used for spotlighting sometimes. On our way up, we picked up Big Tom and Mouse. We were all trying to decide what place we wanted to go to do some hunting for the day. Big Tom suggested we go out to his uncle's place, which is about 43 miles north out of town. As we get about 30 miles out of town, we came to a dirt road. Out that far, there was nothing but flats and hills, a few old-time grain bins, and some solar panels and oil rig pumps that you can see out in the distance. As we came up to this old radar base, a green and silver striped Dodge Ram Charger passed us on the road. Inside were what appeared to be two older-looking men. We tried to wave at them, but the two guys just gave us odd looks as we drove by them. After making it to Big Tom's uncle's place, he goes in to check to see if he's home first, to make sure his uncle knows that we'll be out there doing some hunting in the area. Big Tom warned us about his uncle, saying that he can be a bit of a looney tune at times. 
As we were getting ready and geared up to hunt, Big Tom comes back out, letting us know his uncle wasn't home, but it would still be okay to hunt, as long as his uncle was still away. Big Tom was saying he had to go really bad all day and luckily his uncle had an outhouse just outside the place. After that's done, we start to walk into what's probably about 200 acres of forest. There is a creek running through it, just behind Big Tom's uncle's place. We decided to split up into twos. Tom and Mouse headed out together, while my cousin Dan and I began to follow the creek all the way up. Then we made a plan to all meet up with Big Tom and Mouse down the trail. As Dan and I walked about two miles into the forest, we came across two competitive white-tailed bucks fighting for dominance. Dan and I got down on our knees and belly crawled, taking our time and approaching the deer closer and closer while they were distracted with each other. Soon, they were only about 10 yards into the brush in front of us. Dan and I take the shot, each killing a deer. We then waited for Big Tom and Mouse to show up. As Dan and I started to walk further into the brush, we were suddenly startled by some birds. Then, right there in front of us, we saw a horse. However, right away, we noticed something odd about it. It looked strange and was just standing stiff. We approached this horse, realizing it wasn't moving, and it appeared to be hunched over a log. As we walked around the animal, let's just say what we saw was not a very pretty sight to look at. The rear end of this horse was torn wide open, and there were buzzards all over the place. I didn't see any other wounds on the dead animal, and I couldn't help but notice the tail had been braided. Later, when we met up with Big Tom and Mouse, we told them about the dead horse and took them to see it as well. A stiff and still standing dead horse with a chunk out of its rear. We cracked a joke then, saying that Mouse was just the right size to fit into that gaping hole in the horse and make a bed for the night. It was getting late then. We started to quarter up me and Dan's deer. We found some good long pointy sticks lying on the ground nearby. We used it to poke through each front and hind quarter and carry the meat over our shoulders. Getting back on the road, we found some tracks that went into the forest behind Big Tom's uncle's place. I'd turn only my light bars on while driving through a creepy dark forest at night, and this was just such an occasion. With my light bars on brighter than heck, we spotted some porcupines in the brush. I reached into the back of my Bronco and take out my laser-sided crossbow. I loaded a bolt, put my sighting on it, and used the lace to aim and shoot it. I retrieved my prey and wrapped it up, throwing it in the back with the rest of the quartered deer. While leaving from there, we were talking and joking until suddenly, wham, something runs up and hits the side of my Bronco. We all were startled and jumped. I was driving at the time, and I said, what the heck was that? We rolled down the windows to look around. Big Tom even pointed his 44 Magnum outside the car. We looked around a bit, but didn't see anything weird. So we just kept going. A few days later, I told one of my other friends who's kind of a conspiracy theorist. He said a guy named Victor who lives on the reservation told him about something called a witch's braid. These appear on horses overnight. He mentioned a story where the woman thought it was cute that something would braid her horse's tail's hair at night. The same woman even said she witnessed Bigfoot attacking her horse and would even hold on to the tail while doing so. This caused the horse's tail hair to get all tangled in a braid-like pattern. 
When I told my conspiracy theorist friend about this, he mentioned that his grandpa told his mom that the tribe believed that Bigfoot would sometimes even kidnap women. In the Paiute tribe in California, there's a legend that states that a woman was kidnapped and assaulted by Bigfoot. The woman escaped, but it is said that she had a hybrid baby. The boy looked mostly normal, but was hairier. He grew up to have immense strength, better senses of smell and sight than normal people. In recent years, there was an article written about Bigfoot attempting to take a male Colorado hunter while he hunted in the forest. And there's a 2006 Bigfoot documentary that took place near the Glacier National Park where someone found a small Bigfoot leg that had weird webbed feet. I think the documentary is called Bigfoot Lives. I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix. So basically, maybe it was Bigfoot we encountered out there. Maybe that's what ran up on our truck and hit it. Some weird stuff is going on out in those woods. Now on to my second story. Going back to 2000, my dad just bought a cabin from an old guy who used to work for the railroads. It was a small yellow cabin, which had a small bunkhouse just three feet in front of the cabin. About 500 feet west from the cabin, there was a train car. You couldn't see it unless you walked behind some pine trees. Also about 200 feet from the cabin in a different direction, was one of those old, barely-traveled country highways. This was truly out in the middle of nowhere. When my dad got to the cabin, I was only 12 at the time, and my brother was 9 or 10, and it was our first time going into the cabin. I could see a pellet gun just sitting there in the corner. I took it outside and began shooting it around. I walked down to the bushes where there was a pond nearby. As I looked around, I saw some ducks swimming. I pointed the pellet gun, ready to shoot at the ducks, but my dad caught me and said, don't be shooting those ducks now. He even told me, would you like it if I shot you? When my dad went back inside the cabin and was out of hearing range, I grabbed the pellet gun and took a shot, killing a duck. I watched it floating there in the water. I guess I just wanted to see what it was like to shoot something for the first time. I was a kid, and I didn't really understand what I was doing. Then I remember having this really scary dream at the cabin. In it, I was walking out to the living room, and I looked out the window, and I saw a deer, which should have been dead by the looks of it, but it was standing there looking back at me. It had these white, dead, lifeless eyes, and as it ran off into the woods, it made this unsettling screeching sound. That dream always psychologically disturbed me every time I thought about it. My dad would tell me I must have seen something on TV that gave me a nightmare. Much later in August of 2013, my cousin Dan and I, along with his dad, went for a little hike towards the mountain hillside in the Lewis and Clark National Forest. It was just south of the Glacier National Park nearby where the cabin was. I brought with me a 12-inch single-shot 10-gauge that I'd inherited from my grandpa after he passed away eight years before. As we went deeper into the woods, we stumbled across an old run-down trailer house and some kind of barn shed on the side of the trailer used for putting horses in. When I stepped into the barn shed part, I was startled by these big yellow eyes that I saw staring back at me. It was an owl. My cousin's dad told me that it was a bad omen, that it would bring me bad luck if I didn't kill it. So I did as he said and pointed my tin gauge at it. I pulled the hammer, then took the shot. As I watched the bird hit the ground, I walked away. I wanted to go check out what was all in the trailer after that. I walked around the living room of the old rundown trailer home, 
and I heard a thud. I turned around to see what made the noise. Standing on a table staring right at me with big yellow eyes was another owl, or perhaps the same owl, but it should have been dead. Just as before, I took my grandpa's tin gauge, pointed it at the bird, then fired. After leaving the place and getting up a little ways, I was looking around again using binoculars. I could see my dad's cabin about five or six miles north from our location. I told my cousin where my dad's cabin was in the distance and that we should check it out later, and he agreed. Later that day, my cousin and I picked up a few girls and decided to make our way up to that cabin. We got into my dad's cabin and the first thing we noticed was there was no electricity. We hadn't lived in it for a while and my dad didn't pay on the bill for a long time. We were sitting around in the living room in the cabin and we found some old chopped up wood. While making a fire, we started to tell jokes and drink. After a while, me and Dan get really blacked out and started a fist fight. After that happened, Dan and the two girls headed out. I was left at the cabin alone. I was getting tired and I decided to head for bed. It was a king-sized bed with a bed frame made out of logs. While sleeping, I felt as if I couldn't move all of a sudden. And then I began to hear a voice, but I couldn't make out what it was saying at first. When I turned my head just a bit, I saw at the foot of my bed a sort of undead human-like entity. It had bleeding eyes and was staring at me angrily. It seemed really teed off. I'm not sure what about. It kept repeating the words, The devil is here. The devil is here. But when it would talk, its mouth would not move at all. Somehow still words came from it. In appearance, it reminded me of a ghoul from Fallout 3. After a while, it disappeared, and the next morning I left. The next week, me and my cousin Dan get over the fight that we had that day and decided to make up. Dan's dad, my cousin Dan, and me decided to go for a hike at the same place. After hiking for a while, we stopped by a creek and smoked a bit. After smoking, Dan and his dad decided to take a little walk. I waited down by the creek as they took their time walking through the woods and happened to just doze off while waiting for Dan and his dad to get back. As I lay there on the rocks, I heard this chilling voice call my name. I heard it coming from the forest when I woke from my short little nap. I realized Dan and his dad weren't back yet, so I got up and walked around to loosen up a bit. I needed it as I kept thinking about that weird voice that called my name. I remember it sounding really strange and disorienting, sort of like a hollow echo. What if nature was teed off at me and the wilderness was trying to send me some kind of message? A year after that, September of 2014, one afternoon around 2 p.m., I was in my newly purchased truck with a lever-action rifle hanging on the gun racks behind my head. I was driving down the road coming up from the mountain pass. After arriving at my dad's cabin, I realized I hadn't been there in a year. The last time I was there, me and Dan got drunk and fought. I decided to stop at the cabin on the way through. After getting out of the truck and walking up to the cabin, I peered into the window and I saw someone inside. It was a man with light brown hair. He was wearing glasses and looked to be about five foot ten. He was sitting on the couch, changing his socks. His face looked very startled when he saw me through the window. I ran inside, hitting him in the face and breaking his glasses. 
He was knocked to the floor. He looked up at me with his hand covering his nose. I told him, what the heck are you doing here? Get out! My dad owns this place. The guy looked really ashamed and embarrassed. He apologized over and over and got up and left. After I told my dad that a man broke into his cabin, he told me to check for anything missing or if anything looked out of place. I let my dad know nothing was missing, but the back door was broken down and there was a nail stuck through the latch on the side of the window. Likely, the guy put it there so that the window wouldn't shut all the way and he could get back in. My dad decided that maybe it would be a good idea if I stayed at the cabin, and he said he would get the electricity turned back on if I did. Remembering what I saw that day last year, I thought maybe it wouldn't be as bad staying there this time with some light in the place, and maybe some company. My dad and I fixed the place up a little. We boarded up the back door and tried to get the side window shut. It was nailed down pretty good. Only a month later in October of 2014, we got the place fixed up decent enough. At 8pm one night, I went out to visit the cabin to see if the lights were on. When entering the cabin, there was a small shed in the front about the size of an elevator. There are kerosene lamps, a handsaw, and some snowshoes on the wall. Anyway, everything in the cabin looked good so far. The lights were running again, and I could hear the radio playing on the kitchen counter. I was thinking about staying for the night. I thought I could use some company though, so I decided to run to town. As I was leaving, pulling out of the driveway in my truck, I saw at the corner of my eye something just fly by. It landed somewhere on the ground in the dark. I didn't get too good of a look at it, but I thought I saw something that had a really long wingspan, more than just an ordinary bird around these parts. I then continued on my way, going to pick up my brother and our two friends, Ed and Cole. Ed was six foot two and always wore a green alien cap. He had short dark hair, had a beard like me, and always enjoyed talking about conspiracy theories like UFOs and the paranormal. Cole had really long hair and wore black Cannibal Corpse t-shirts. All four of us liked metal music, and we'd all talk about going to a music concert one day. My younger brother Anthony was also big into music, but he wasn't into as hardcore of bands as Cole was. At the time, Anthony would sometimes have really bad seizures. I made sure to keep a really close eye on him. Back at the cabin, we were all sitting around inside, passing a blunt, listening to the radio. We picked up a station from the reservation of two native guys telling scary stories about skinwalkers and goatmen. It was probably just for the Halloween weekend, I guessed as it was October. After a while, I stood up to go take a look out the window. I was peeking through the big red curtains of the living room window and I saw something very strange. About 150 feet from the road in front of the cabin and about 30 feet behind my truck standing on the ground, I saw a bird-like creature. But it wasn't just any kind of bird I saw. Something didn't look right about it. It had a head and a neck almost like a man, but it had something weird above its head. It looked like some kind of horns. I couldn't make out what the face looked like. The bird thing stood there just staring back at the cabin. I tried to tell the other guys what I saw outside. I tried showing them, but about the time we all looked out the window together, it was gone. Soon after, we all got tired. Ed and Cole headed for the back bedroom with two extra beds. My brother headed for a different bedroom, and I slept in the living room. Alone in the living room, I soon noticed there were two wooden owl statues. 
I figured my dad must have picked them up at a thrift store and put them there when we were fixing the place up. Both of them were standing on the top shelf, just on the far side from each other, right above the TV. I went ahead and made a fire on the wood stove. When I went back to sit on the couch, I looked up at one of the owls. Thoughts were going through my mind as the creepy owl statue stared back at me, now lit by the light of the fire. I couldn't help but feel guilty as I thought back to the day I killed those owls last year. I began getting these creepy vibes, so I turned on the lamp by the window. I then decided to crash out on the couch. At some point, I was awakened and began to hear something just out of the half-opened window. It was the one that wouldn't shut all the way, which was just behind the coffee table and lamp I just turned on. The sound outside got closer and closer to the window. I started to feel like I couldn't move. It was all happening again, just like last time. I could only move my eyes, and I could only hear what was around me. Then, I heard something that sounded really weird. It was right outside the window by the coffee table. It sounded like a growl mixed with a muffled noise. I looked out the window. There, I saw that bird thing I'd seen outside, now bursting its head through the crack in the window. It was flapping and screeching about. Now that I got a close-up look at it, I saw that the creature had no face and had a mix of feathers and fur with long, pointy horns, sort of like an antelope. The creature was trying to get in through the window. Its head was convulsing and swinging, flapping around fast and unnaturally. I finally snapped out of my sleep paralysis nightmare. I jumped up from the couch and rushed to the gun rack to my grandpa's single-shot, 10-gauge shotgun. I spun around as fast as I could, and I shot the window where I saw the creature trying to enter through. But once I came to my senses, I realized the creature was now gone. Not long after that, my brother, Ed, and Cole came rushing out, looking surprised and concerned at what they just heard. The blast was very loud, after all. My brother was like, What the heck are you doing? Dad's going to be teed off. You shot out the window. We all stood there mostly confused, trying to make sense of what just happened. I told everyone about what I saw. We looked out the window but didn't see anything weird. Ed, with his conspiracy theories, thought probably the entity could have used some kind of telepathic power to invade my dreams. Maybe it wanted to reveal itself and terrorize me. It seemed to have looked like it had the features and traits of all the animals I killed combined into one, coming back as a nightmare to get revenge on me for all the animals I've killed. Cole heard the same growling, mumbling sounds that I heard. Meanwhile, there was no other damage to the cabin, save for what we cleaned up, which would be broken glass lying around. We then cut out some cardboard and placed it on the side window to cover the crack. The lampshade was pretty shredded up, though. After the incident, we all tried going back to bed. Later on, I got up to go to the kitchen. I then suddenly saw this black figure going into the bedroom where Anthony was sleeping. I went to check on my brother to see if he was okay. When I opened the door, there he was on the bed. He was bleeding from the mouth and going into a seizure. I rushed in fast, getting over him and pulling out my wallet, trying to get it into his mouth to keep him from biting his tongue. I called out to Ed and Cole for help. I said, that's it. We're taking him to the hospital. It was around 3 a.m. then and we carried him out to the truck. 
As I drove out of the driveway and got up the road, we all headed for town. I'll never forget that night. Around that time, two of my closest relatives to me passed away in 2016. It almost seemed more than a coincidence that I killed two owls, and around that same year, those two people died. The next time you ever go into the woods and you see a messenger-like owl, do not kill it. You might get haunted by some kind of creature or nightmare out for revenge. Mushroom Hunting From David Chase One night in the middle of May of 2018, two of my friends and I had been hanging out, drinking, and joking around, just having a good time. It was around 2am by then, and we decided to go moral hunting out at the river, which is less than a five-minute walk away. Morals are an edible mushroom, by the way. As we half-drunkenly looked for morals, we weren't having any luck and soon lost hope. We sat down on a dead fallen tree to take a break for a while, before we would head back to the car, which was about a quarter mile away by then. As we were sitting there, drinking some beers, we started talking about creepy places to explore and stories we've heard. As we got around to finally leaving, we joked about Bigfoot. We got the idea to do some wood knocks since all three of us were into these kinds of things and supposedly Bigfoot liked to knock on wood. We started walking farther into the woods paralleling the river, joking and making whooping yells and doing wood knocks, the same kind of stuff you see on those Bigfoot hunting TV shows, but no luck with any responses. We eventually came to a stop and that's when we had a new idea. We'd try whistling really loud. Now, on this side of the river, you could holler and make all the noise you wanted, but you never got a good echo here. Not unless you were on the cliff on the opposite side of the river. Well, one of my friends whistled as loud as they could, and it wasn't about three seconds later that we heard the exact same whistle, like someone or something had mimicked it. And soon after that mimic, the woods fell completely silent. Now, why wouldn't the woods go silent for my friend's whistle and only go quiet for the mimic? Our little group looked at each other in shock. My friend made another whistle, but a different kind, and it was mimicked back just as before. It came from the other side of the river, but it was closer now than before. It was at that second we decided we needed to leave. My friends wanted to run, but I told them no, because if there was something out there hunting us, it may pounce on us or chase us if we ran. I led them to the ATV trail. We told each other to only step on the sand. That way, we'd make as little noise as possible. As we steadily marched in the direction of the car, we began to hear sticks and leaves crunching on one side of us. We stopped. Whatever it was took one more step and stopped too. Then we started to walk faster. We were almost to the bend then, that was near where the car was parked. We stopped once more and we heard the crunch again. And once again, the follower stopped. Except now it was way closer, still on the other side of us. By the time we came within about 25 feet of the car, we unlocked it via the remote and we couldn't stop ourselves any longer from running. We got away okay and we never went back. Still to this day, I refuse to drive through that area after sunset, at least not without a gun. 
almost caught by the rake. From William J. I was 12 years old when I went on a hunting trip with my father. That day, we woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning and got our stuff ready. We went to this wooded area somewhere in California. Sorry if my memory's a bit vague. We got into our spot we always went to. It was this place with a little dirt mound and small trees around it. However, that day when we got there, I immediately felt that there was something off. The whole forest was quiet. Normally, there would be bugs and birds and a whole lot of other stuff, but there was just silence. The only noise was the leaves and twigs that snapped under our boots as we walked. We arrived at the mound and began waiting for a good buck to bag, but nothing came. About an hour after we arrived at the mound, we began to hear the familiar sound of leaves crunching. You hear that? I whispered. Yep, my dad replied. We kept hearing the leaves, then out of nowhere, there came this horrific scream. I jumped and so did my dad. After we heard that scream, we decided it was time to leave. We began walking away, always keeping an eye out for whatever that thing had been. But then I saw it. A tall man, except it wasn't a normal man. It was far too tall, maybe eight to 10 feet tall, and had paper white skin that was so tight on it that he could see every last bone inside. The thing had bony long fingers and giant claws. Its face, oh, its face was horrible. It had black beady eyes and a triangular shaped mouth that emitted another horrible sounding scream. My dad and I hightailed it out of there with the creature staying right behind us the whole way. We got to the truck and looked behind us at the tree line. We saw the thing just standing there. Then it walked back into the forest never to be seen again by me nor my father. Easy to say I could have been snatched up by that thing so easy that day, and I'd say I'm pretty lucky to be here and to be alive. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.